Hey everybody, Chris Avery with you on our free agency edition of Chargers Weekly. A bit later, we'll break down the biggest moves in the AFC West with the Kansas City Stars' Brooke Pryor, the Athletic Denver's Nikki Javala, and the Bay Area News Group's Matt Schneidman. But first, Sean Merriman joins me to discuss the Chargers' free agency additions, including a fellow member of his 2005 NFL Draft class. All right, Chargers great in big time front of the program. Sean Merriman joins me. And Sean, free agency is wilder than ever in 2019. Before we get into the moves of the Chargers, uh, in what ways has this process changed from when you were playing besides the, the size of the checks? <laughs> Definitely the size of the checks. Uh, but, you know, but also just the, you know, kind of the publicity of it, right? Um, you know, guys get traded and uh, you know, kind of moved around a lot, but I, I don't think we've ever seen – uh, to this magnitude, you know, guys in prime in their career, you take Odell back and move it over to Cleveland. Um, you see some of these guys, you know, go and, and visit the team for a day and come back and re-sign with their original team. I mean, it's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I don't think it was this much in the public eye uh, before when I was playing. Sean, let's go back to 2005, right? 2005 draft, you were drafted number 12 overall by the Chargers. Two selections later, a linebacker named Thomas Davis, 22 years old. He was drafted 14 overall. You fast forward 14 years, Thomas Davis, now a Charger. Uh, how would you assess this move, Sean? This was, this was great for many different reasons. Um, you know, and before I jump to the experience and uh, him just bringing the knowledge to the locker room, I want to acknowledge this guy can still play, right? Because I think that whenever we see uh, a veteran or someone that's older, you just think they're coming there to be a, a leader, um, a guy in the locker room is going to help the young guys. You know, Thomas, Thomas can still go. He can still play. So that being first and foremost, uh, you know, him bouncing back from the, the injuries he's had in his career, um, just him being able to get back to a, a high level of playing. I mean, I've, I've had the knee injuries, and it's so hard to come back from and perform the way you did before. He's found a way not only to get back on the field, but perform at a high level. Um, and going, you know, now going over to the experience and acknowledge he's bringing into the locker room. I mean, these these uh, young guys, you know, the Denzel Perryman, the uh, Derwin, and you know, the rest of the uh, New Orleans. These guys should live, literally live by Thomas Davis' locker. Wherever he, whatever he does, wherever he, how he watches film, how he warms up for practice and takes care of his body post practice. These guys should literally, literally be walking around with the notepad right behind him. Uh, because I take it back to my earlier days of playing career. Uh, to have Donnie Edwards and uh, Randall Godfrey there was invaluable mm. um, for a young guy like myself to come in into the locker room. These guys knew so, so much about the, the game. Uh, they knew how to take care of their bodies. Um, you know, I just I got around them, and I lived around Donnie and, and Randall, and I watched how they practiced. I watched how they prepare. Uh, because you think you know, but you don't know until you, you, you get around guys with that much experience. So, um, if I would tell any any one of the young guys in the locker room, you know, find Thomas Davis and you stay you stay next to him. Sean, just to piggyback off the production comment, three of the last four years he's been in the Pro Bowl. He was a first team All Pro in 2015, so he can absolutely play. And then I think the one word that comes to mind for me is just tough and toughness. I mean, he he had that broken arm in the NFC Championship game. Got some screws put in it and played in the Super Bowl. Uh, you mentioned the ACL injuries. I mean, this is just a tough dude. And 
you know, if, if you're out at practice in a random October and somebody's sitting out for maybe something that, that you could play through, you look at Thomas Davis and you're like, ah, I better get on the football field, right? No, no, absolutely. I mean, but the, the toughness comes from the mentality. Um, his mentality was to get back on the field. You know, people get hurt and injured all the time, and, and you have these things as your career goes along. But his mentality is not going to sit him out. Um, that mentality is going to be used not only on Sundays, but the overall team. You see a guy like that, and you, even if you're on the offense side of the ball and you're looking across and you see that uh, this guy has been through it. He has so many years under his belt, and he's still able to go after them practice. He's still get ready uh, in games, and he's still mentally and, and, and physically prepared to put himself through more battle. Uh, There's so many things that, that – that comes from just Thomas Davis and how he's now part of his organization and in a positive that's going to arise from it. You know, talking to Denzel Perryman on our backstage podcast, we were talking about how Thomas Davis is really kind of like the Phillip Rivers of the defense. And speaking of Denzel, he comes back on a two-year deal. And to start the season, his nine starts, Sean, the Chargers were 7-2 and two in those wins – they only allowed 16.1 points per game. So when Denzel is healthy and he's in there, he's a force, and I know a lot of people are happy to see him back. Yeah, include myself. Um, I'm also happy. I thought that um, that was a guy that should keep around. Uh, for one, he's an anchor, right? He's an anchor of that defense. Mm. And anything between the tackles, anything that uh, someone's going to come up and put their helmet on the football, it's, it's him. Uh, he always plays downfield. I think he's the most explosive one of the most explosive linebackers in the National Football, definitely the most explosive linebacker on that team. Uh, so just having a guy like him and being a, a, a force, really someone to come up and step up, uh, you know you're not going out and running the football because he's out there and you got to look and find out where he's at every play. So I'm glad they brought him back. Um, I think he's going to uh, do tremendous for that defense. Sean, you've done this before in terms of the free agency game, and, and Denzel and I were talking about just the fact that it was peace of mind just to know that he's going to be in the same place with a lot of the same teammates and the same coaches. I don't know if you could speak on just how important it is for somebody, you know, entering your fifth year to to have that continuity around you, knowing that you don't have to learn a new system. You don't have to move to a new place. You don't have to introduce yourself to new teammates. You can just play ball. It's everything because you can play fast now. Um, you know, oftentimes the league moves around. You have coordinators coming in, different coaches that, like things a certain way, but now you can come and you know everything like the back of your hand. Now you're just reacting and playing. Um, and, and if that's taking a, a split second or two off of your first step, uh, now you can add that back to your repertoire and get to the ball faster because you're not worrying about, you know, thinking of the play call and, and worrying about if, 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 if a, a strong or weak side is going to switch and what happens now. Now you're just going out and playing football, and that's what this defense needs to do. You know, free agency, a lot of it is taking care of your, your own guys, and the Chargers did that on Wednesday with Brandon Meebane. Meebane is back in the mix. He's not only going to help that defensive line rotation, but you talk about leadership and just to a man, everybody respects Brandon so much in that locker room. Uh, what does it mean to have Brandon back? Uh, it's just that. You have a, a veteran guy that's walking in there uh, with instant credibility. He's done it for so long. Uh, he's another one. You know, If you're a D-lineman and you're trying to make it in this league, you get next to Meebane and you find out what he's done. Uh, on and off the field to, to have the kind of respect and credibility he had for so long. Um, also, he, he can go. You know, he's a guy that, that, uh, that's going to go out there and, 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 and clog up some holes and, and, uh, and draw attention to himself and taking the pressure off of Melvin and, uh, and Bosa. You know, those guys can go now and play because they know that 
Brandon, a guy like Brandon Meebane is going to step up and um, take that attention and, and do what he needs to do to uh, make that defense go. Sean, two more for you. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, I tell you, I think this is a great move for the Chargers because when you have a team like this that is on the verge of doing really big things, I think it's it's so important to have security at the most important position on the football field. And we know that Phillip is an Iron Man and, and will likely continue to be. But to have a guy with 46 starts the last four years, uh, made a Pro Bowl appearance in 2015, knows Coach Lynn, uh, I think this is a perfect fit, Tyrod Taylor and the Chargers. It, absolutely. Um, you know, I always say Ty, Tyrod has um, you know, kind of been in a couple bad situations, but he's also shown when he has been a starter, he can go out and produce. Um, there'll never be another Philip Rivers as far as uh, you know, just his longevity, uh, what he brings to the table. It's, it's only one Philip, uh, but you love to have a guy like that in the background. And I played with a guy who came in like Billy Volick, you know, back and forth to back. That's before. right. Philip went down one year, and uh, you know, Billy Volick stepped into the game, and you know, he practically won the game for us. Um, and to have that kind of reinforcement and, and assurance that you got a guy back there, no matter what, who can come in to get things done if he needs to. Uh, really make the offense feel good. Sean, last thing, just your initial reaction to all the moves that we are seeing specifically in the AFC West. We'll start with the Raiders. You get Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, who we know very well here in L.A., goes to the Raiders, LaMarcus Joyner. Uh, they got Trent Brown for the Patriots, gave him record-setting money. Joe Flacco in Denver, Tyron Matthew in Kansas City. Uh, your initial thoughts on just all the shakeup and, and where you see the Chargers fitting into this whole picture? Well, you know, for one thing, the Chargers went out and took care of their own guys, right? Because when you have a, a, a team with that much talent, you don't have to go and and, and, and fish too much out in a, a free agency. You want to take care of the guys uh, that's there. Uh, everybody's familiar with each other. Uh, there's a brotherhood and, and uh, you know, kind of a uh, just a cohesiveness you have in that locker room with, with the guys you have there. Uh, secondly, as far as the guys, if people move around, I mean, the, the, the league has now gotten so competitive that they're making the moves uh, big moves anyway, so they can instantly get better. Get hmm. better. You're not you're not seeing teams, you know, kind of uh, setting up shots so they can be good in the next two or three years. No, they're going out and getting a, a, a big quarterback. They're going to get a big wide receiver because they feel like those are the missing links they need to win right now. Uh, everything is about right now. It's not about setting your team up two and three and four years from now. I mean, people want to go out and win a championship, so they're going out and getting the talent that's necessary for them to move forward. In our next segment, we go around the AFC West with some beat writers to get their perspective on the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the Raiders. And, Sean, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. We will see you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, a quick disclaimer before we get into my interview with Brooke Pryor of the Kansas City Star. We taped hours before Eric Berry was released. So we talk a little bit about Tyron Matthew and Eric Berry and what may or may not happen there Brooke was fantastic, some great insight. But just a disclaimer, we do talk about Eric Berry a little bit, and this was taped before he was released on Wednesday. All right, now joined by Brooke Pryor of the Kansas City Star on Chargers Weekly. Brooke, hard at work, free agency. We were just talking, you had to listen to that Le'Veon Bell mixtape at midnight just to confirm that he wasn't going to Kansas City, right? Yeah, and you know what? Thank goodness Adam Schefter saved us all and, and let us know that he was going to go to the Jets before we all had to get very far from that mixtape. So I bless him for that. That's not quite how I wanted to spend my night at midnight. Seriously. Well, hey, it's been madness so far all around the league. I mean, from Odell Beckham to, to Le'Veon Bell. But let's concentrate 
on the Chiefs. Uh, Tyron Matthew has agreed to terms, three-year deal. What can you tell us about this move and how he fits into this new Steve Spagnuolo defense? You know, I think that this was a huge move for the Chiefs. Targeted for quite a while. He was their top uh, off-season priority. Uh, that's who they've been targeting for quite a bit um, because of how he fits in this scheme. You know, we don't really know. Right now, Eric Berry is still, you know, under contract with the Chiefs. All indications are that he'll be back. And so if so, if Eric Berry is indeed back and they don't decide to free up that money and designate him as opposed to first cut, the combination of, of Matthew and Barry works out really well. They'll put Barry more in the box and let Matthew kind of be the center fielder. It's, and they don't really have a guy on the team before this Matthew signing that could do that and do that efficiently and effectively. Um, I think that adding Matthew is kind of that missing piece that they didn't have for a lot of us. They didn't have a guy that they could rely on. Um, and so adding him is a huge kind of cornerstone back there in the secondary, an area that was kind of the, the biggest weakness on the defense that was maligned every single week. Um, and so getting him, I think, was um, opening up this, this legal tampering period. Um, and when he gets signed officially later today, that will be, that'll be a huge first step in, in kind of revamping this defense to tailor uh, to I was just going to ask you, Brooke, what does this mean for Eric Berry? And you said, you know, all intentions are you you keep both. That's a lot of money into one position. But at the same time, that quickly becomes arguably the best safety tandem in the NFL. When you talk about all pros who, you know, have had a lot of success in their career. And then you look at the Chiefs and just the explosive offense. They have two guys like that that can make plays. It's a big deal in KC. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're spending right now the way the the roster is structured. They're spending about thirty million in safeties, um, and that's obviously a lot of money. But if you're paying for Eric Berry the way he was playing a couple of years ago before the injuries, then it's worth it. Then you're right. That is the top safety tandem in the league, and I think that it, it makes a huge difference in what the Stevens is able to do. And maybe it's what gets them to the Super Bowl next year. Um, but if you're paying that much money for an Eric Berry like we had last season, where you know, he was day-to-day for literally the entire season, played there right at the end, and he made some good plays, but he wasn't the Eric Berry that he used to be. And granted, you know, you can't really expect him to be, given the injuries that he's had um, and given uh, everything that he's gone through. Um, so I think that if you know, they evaluate it and you know, they've told us that he's going to be ready for this season, he's not having surgery on the sore heel that kept him kind of in and out uh, through all of last season, if they believe that he is going to be ready and he is going to be able to play, yes, that money's worth it. But if they determine, hey, you know, we can use this money better, designate him as a post-June first cut, keep a guy like Jordan Lucas around, um, a young safety who played really well last season. Um, another safety that has you know played well, that has done some good things, um, and who will be significantly cheaper and let Matthew kind of be the star of that secondary but surround him with some good, solid players. I think that also works. Um, a little bit more than $7 million of Eric Berry's deal becomes guaranteed on Friday. Mm. And so I think that if he's on the roster through Friday, he'll be on the team next year. But if not, you know, if I, I think that Friday is going to end up being kind of that cutoff date that the Chiefs are going to have to decide what them before then. So let's say Barry's on the roster. Still, a, a lot of change, especially up front. Justin Houston released after eight seasons. And then D. Ford was franchised, just traded to the San Francisco 49ers. So two best 
edge rushers from last year depart. What does this mean up front, Brooke, and, and where do you expect the, the Chiefs to find those replacements? You know, it, it means that there it is going to look a lot different next year. Um, I think that there was a spot for D Ford in this defense, but I think that he can't. He's excuse me too undersized to be in every down weak side defensive end, and so I think that they didn't want to spend the money, the fifteen million uh, that it would have been with him franchised to keep him around um, in you know in in a situation where he won't. And so I think in this new um, setup, I think a the Chiefs are going to need to add another edge rusher. But B, I think that you're going to see a guy like Breland Speaks, draft pick last year, got some playing time when Justin Houston was injured this year. I think he's going to step up. Um, I think he is a much better fit in this system. Um, he looked lost at times last year trying to figure out where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be doing, whether he should drop back in coverage uh, or manage the run game when he was in the outside linebacker spot. So I think that he's a much more natural fit up there uh, at defensive end. And I think that they're just kind of gambling now that they want to go younger and build around a guy like Chris Jones uh, there who, you know, had a bunch of sounds last year, was a really key piece of that defensive line. Um, I think that they're going to try to complement him and what he's able to do. Two more notes on the defense. Steven Nelson goes to Pittsburgh on a three-year deal, and then the Chiefs signed Damian Wilson's. A lot of Damians uh, on the uh, on the Chiefs. So Damian Wilson from the Cowboys, um, linebacker. Just your thoughts on, on those two moves and how it affects the D. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised that they let Steven Nelson, uh, that they didn't want to re-sign him and let him go to Pittsburgh. Um, he's getting paid a lot more than what the Chiefs were paying him last year. Uh, I believe he made just over 700000 last year with the Chiefs, and he's getting a much bigger deal in Pittsburgh, you know, he had a good season. He had four interceptions. Mm-hmm. I think that the Chiefs maybe want some more size there, and I think that that's a position that they're going to end up targeting in the draft. Uh, maybe a guy like Joe Johnson uh, from Vanderbilt, who measured and, and performed really well at the combine. Um, so I'm, that move does not surprise me. Damian Wilson, adding him, from, from what I've been told, the Chiefs didn't have a strong side linebacker or a guy that they liked that could fit at strong side linebacker on their roster right now. And so adding one was a top priority. They get a guy from the Cowboys, someone who is familiar with a 4-3, like Anthony Hitchens, who came over, what, last year, I believe. Um, And so they're going to have, I believe, put Anthony Hitchens at weak side, put uh, Reggie Ragland at middle, and and Damian Wilson at strong. And I think that that, that, you know, may not hold up for the entire season because you've got a guy like Dorian O'Daniel who I also think would be really good in that system, particularly at weak side there. Maybe slide Anthony Hitchens over to middle and leaves Reggie Rapp. Damien Wilson, I think, is going to come in and be a guy that's, you know, day one starter. Um, He's a guy that didn't play a ton in Dallas last year, only 28% of the defensive snaps because the Cowboys used nickel so much, and he was the odd man out in that package. Uh, But I think that it's going to work out much better in in Kansas City. So, Brooke, you flip it over to offense, really – don't need to change much, but there are two pretty big moves that occurred over the last week. Carlos Hyde now in the fold. Uh, it sounds like a combination of Hyde and Damian Williams they'll probably roll with in the backfield. And, and then Mitch Morse, Patrick Mahomes center, headed to Buffalo. Uh, how do those two changes affect what they're going to do offensively? I think the Carlos Hyde addition is a good one. Um, they obviously feel com- confident and comfortable with Damian Williams when they gave him the extension last year. Yep. Adding another veteran back there, I think is another move that, that you make, anticipating that Spencer Ware is not around again. He's a free 
Kendrick West, also a free agent. So I think that they wanted another veteran presence back there in the running back group. And Carlos Hyde is a good guy to do that and add in there. I think he compliments Damian Williams really well. Um, and then as far as center goes, they felt comfortable letting Mitch Morris walk because they knew what they had in Austin Ryder. He's another guy, young guy, got an extension last year um, and stepped up and played. I believe he started four games when Mitch Morris was out with a concussion. You know, wasn't perfect by any means, but a guy good enough with how he performed that he can step in and take over for Mitch Morris. But that is a huge loss because of the relationship that Patrick Mahomes and Mitch Morse developed. Um, and you know, Mitch Morse is now the top paid center in the league. He's definitely earned that. Um, and it is going to be a loss for the Chiefs, but not one that I don't think they can recover from and, and not one that I think is going to end up you know, having a really significant negative impact on this offense. All right, Brooke, last thing. As we head towards the end of this first wave of free agency, what do you think the Chiefs' needs are as we get into the second and third wave? And then couple that with the draft. Uh, I know they picked up that extra second-round pick from the Niners. Uh, what do you think the Chiefs going to be focused on? You know, I think because of that they traded D4, you know, only getting a 2020 pick, I think that the urgency that they showed there – signals to me at least that they're going to try to make another splash signing in free agency um, and maybe get either a corner or an edge rusher. They've freed up about $50 million in additional cap space. And so I would expect that to be done pretty quickly, like I said, just given kind of the, the urgency with which they traded D Ford. Um, and then going forward, you know, I think that this emphasis is still going to be on defense, whether that's what they address in the draft or free agency. I think both. Um, their top needs right now in the draft corner, uh, defensive line. Although also I, I could see them adding a tight end because they lost Demetrius Harris. He signed with the Browns this morning. Um, they need another blocking tight end to kind of complement Travis Kelsey. So I, I can see them going after another one of those. Running back, because they signed Carlos Hyde, maybe that waits till day five. Um, they could potentially look to, to fortify that offensive line a bit more. Um, but I still would put you know the premium here on edge rushers and on uh, corners to kind of help revamp this defense and make it fit to Steve Spagnuolo's scheme. Brooke Pryor, Kansas City star. Brooke, you do incredible work there. You're all over this beat, and I know it's a busy, busy week for you, so I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Absolutely. I'm happy to help. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's jump over to Denver, where the weather is pretty wild right now. Nikki Javala of The Athletic, friend of the podcast, joins me. And Nikki, first, put the meteorologist cap on. Explain the the bomb cyclone. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite a name, huh? Um, So it was 60 degrees yesterday in Denver, and today we woke up, and it's a blizzard with 40-mile-an-hour winds. It's already dropped about eight inches of snow, and it's still going, so... Yeah, all the roads are shut down. All the flights are canceled. We're we're in the middle of this bomb cyclone. It's great. That's insane. <laughs> so I, I I take it that's gonna have, have a damper on uh, potential press conferences for free agents. Then as we tape this on a Wednesday, I'm I'm wondering. I haven't heard officially, but there's no way to get in or out of Denver, so I don't know how they're gonna make it here. <laughs> Let's start with what we've known for a long time. Joe Flacco, officially a Bronco. Uh, Case Keenum goes to the Redskins. I don't know if you have any new thoughts on Flacco officially being in the mix. Uh, another starting quarterback in Denver. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to me because it feels like we're kind of spinning the same narrative every year as they try a new experiment at quarterback and ship somebody else out. Um, 
it, it certainly feels like John Elway has a type when it comes to quarterbacks. He mm. likes them taller. He likes primarily pocket passers. He likes guys that have proven success, be it, you know, just in facing adversity or in the postseason. So this year, the narrative with Joe Flacco is, um, he's a proven veteran. He's won a ring. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He has a, a what, 10 and 5 record in the postseason. We love his mentality. And, you know, if you, if you go back to around this time last year, that's many of the things they said about Case Keenum minus, you know, the Super Bowl and, you know, postseason record. But they loved his mentality. They loved the leadership. They loved who he was. So here we are again, kind of, you know, pumping up a new quarterback who they think will be the right fit, and, and maybe he will. That would be great. They need this, this offense. So um, I'm kind of holding out to see how this season goes, especially with the new offense under Rich Gangarello, who was the first-time offensive coordinator, uh, Vic Fangio, first-time head coach, which is kind of amazing given how long he's been in the league, Yeah. Um, and, and Joe Flacco. And you know they've added a couple other pieces around them, but they still have more holes to fill. So with Flacco, he had great success in Baltimore when Kubiak was the OC. Are, are we seeing kind of a, a mentality in Denver that say, hey, if we run this type of offense, we think we can prolong Joe's career and he'll be an upgrade from Case Keenum? Because just a year ago, I mean, we saw Case Keenum go from Minnesota, win a bunch of games, and I think the expectation was Case was going to come in he had that familiarity with Kubiak as well and win games. I'm just wondering what you think the Broncos are envisioning with this change from Keenum to Flacco. Yeah, I think it will look quite a bit like the offense they ran in Baltimore that one year when Gary Kubiak was their offensive coordinator. you got to remember that Gary Kubiak comes from the Mike Shanahan tree. Rich Gangarello comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree, which yep. is pretty much all the same tree, except for some you know slight tweaks that get it up to date. So... I think it will be a lot of the same thing, and they feel like if they can surround him with the right pieces, then he can replicate his success. But again, like you mentioned, that was the exact same narrative with Case Keenum. We loved what he did in Minnesota. If we can surround him with enough pieces, he should be able to do the same thing here, if not exceed it. The problem last year, of course, was the transition was a little shaky with Case, and they never really did surround him with enough pieces or anywhere close to the, you know, the type of pieces he had in Minnesota. And then injuries just took a toll on both sides of the ball. So, you know, if their their intention is good, um, but can they fully execute it is a question because ever since Peyton Manning retired, they haven't been able to do it. Not on offense. Well, Nikki, first things first is you got to protect Joe Flacco. And then Mike Munchak, he comes in the mix, probably the best offensive line coach in football. Uh, it looks like Jawan James is coming in, four-year deal, a lot of money. But Matt Paradis goes to Carolina. So this kind of a puzzle piece here where you lose Paradis, but you get Munchak and you get James. What are your thoughts on this offensive line protecting Flacco? Well, I think Munchak was certainly the biggest addition. The hope there is that he can have, you know, some of the same same success here that he did in Pittsburgh. Granted, he had some really fine players in Pittsburgh. Here, they just signed Juan James. As you mentioned, he's going to be the highest-paid right tackle in the league. It looks like they're going to keep him on the right side. Garrett Bowles, the hope there is, you know, that he can reduce the number of penalties that he's had and continue to improve under Munchak. Um, I would imagine Connor McGovern is 
first in line at center unless they draft somebody or bring in another veteran. Um, and then you got the guard positions that are still kind of up in the air. Ron Leary, their left guard is coming off the Achilles injury, hasn't been cleared yet. And, and right guard, they just lost Max Garcia and Billy Turner as well. So they got an opening there. Um, so they've lost more people than they've gained on that line. Um, and they got to figure out how they want to fill in the holes and how they want to add depth to the front five. Because, yeah, it's, when you bring in a guy like Flacco or when you bring in any quarterback, but especially one with a contract as such as Flacco, and if your intent is to have him play more than one year, you've really got to bolster that line and protect him and, and keep the run game going. So, you know, I think James was a good signing. Hopefully it works out better than, you know, many of your other right tackles attempts did um but they gotta continue to add i was on twitter a couple of days ago and i think somebody was joking about just whoever mike munchak wants john elway will be like you know what bring him in whether it's a a guy in the draft or even maybe a a second or third tier offensive lineman in free agency Uh, just the fact that munchak can develop some of these guys that you don't have to necessarily go get high priced guys at all five positions, if that makes sense. And Munchak can kind of develop maybe some of the young guys currently on the roster, and then they can bring in some second, third-tier free agents and maybe continue to build the line in the draft. Right, right. And, and I think that, you know, the Broncos have never had one year where they've really succeeded in both free agency and the draft. Typically, it's been John has really knocked it out of the park in free agency, but his draft picks didn't really pan out. Last year was the reverse. It's draft class, but the free agents never really came out. I mean, um, Marquette King didn't last. On the defensive line, it didn't work. I mean, they didn't have a ton of free agent signings. They got a couple trades for veterans, but not much worked. So, this is one year. This is probably the most important year for John L.A., I think, um, to really get it right. And he has to get it right in both areas to really give this team a chance. Defensively, it's almost like a trade. Kareem Jackson comes in, three-year deal. Bradley Roby was an unrestricted free agent. He's going to Houston. So it just seems like Kareem Jackson may be a better fit for what Fangio wants to do. What, what are your thoughts on Roby heading to Houston and then Jackson coming into Denver? Yeah, I think the Roby exit was pretty much guaranteed after the Jets game. Mm. Uh, when he allowed uh, three touchdowns, that was probably his worst pro showing. So I think it was guaranteed then. Um, they they still have a huge hole at cornerback, though. you got Chris Harris Jr., who is essentially playing on a one-year deal and isn't getting paid much as a number one cornerback, uh, you know, relative to other top corners. And then you got Isaac Yedham, who will be a second-year player coming off shoulder surgery, and he was on and off last year. Um, you know, it wasn't the easiest transition for him. And there's really nobody else. you got a couple guys who haven't, you know, who haven't played at all for the Broncos or, or future signings. So you need a number two and you need a solid number three cornerback. And, you know, if they use Kareem Jackson at corner, there's probably your number two. Um, but they haven't come out right and said that yet. If they're going to make him the corner or a safety because they also released Aaron Stewart. Um, so they, they have still a huge hole on the secondary. And whoever else comes in is going to affect Harris because at some point you're either going to have to Extend them or not extend them, and it's going to be pretty awkward if your number one corner is making less than your number two and number three guys. So they got issues, to put it lightly. 
we'll get you out of here on this, Nikki. The second, third wave of free agency, uh, I'm sure you're going to see this defense continue to get bolstered. What are your expectations? What, what do you think John Elway is going to do here over the next couple of weeks? And then really just couple that with the number 10 overall pick in the draft. Um, it, it's defensive line heavy, but it, it sounds like maybe linebacker and corner, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, big needs for the Broncos. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious if they try to trade back um, and, and get more picks because mm. they have a lot of holes to fill. Um, they need depth. And I think if you trade back in the first round, you could you know get another pick or so and still be able to get a quality guy on the defensive line. Um, so I keep wondering if they'll do that. Um, but I think in this next wave of free agency, um, perhaps they look at tight end. You know, they got to make a decision on what they do with Jeff Hireman, who's a free agent. Um, do they pass on him? Do they wait to the draft? Because it's a pretty loaded draft class for tight ends. And Flacco loves the tight end, too, Nikki. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a staple of Kubiak. And you can never really replicate that here. I mean, never had the production from tight ends that they wanted. They've never really had a production from tight ends since Julius Thomas left, and that was four years ago. Wow. Um, so that's one position. They need another receiver. Um, defensive line, as you mentioned, they need another linebacker. Did they look in free agency, perhaps Zach Brown, who was let go by the Redskins? Or do they go to the draft where you got Devin White, who's probably going to be gone by number 10, Devin Bush? Um, so they, they got a lot of areas. It, it kind of remains to be seen which one they're going to try to tackle in free agency. They don't have a ton of cap space left. So I think these next, the next guy or guys they sign on the open market are going to be you know for depth or short-term guys well nikki one thing i've learned this week doing a podcast during free agency is that the shelf life is very very short because i'm sure as people are listening to this tomorrow or thursday uh, maybe some moves have been made in denver but i can't thank you enough for your time you always do great stuff uh, for the athletic and and keep safe during this bomb cyclone in denver Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. It's been an eventful time up in Oakland. We're taping this right after the Antonio Brown press conference with the Raiders, joined by Matt Schneidman of the Bay Area News Group. Matt, I appreciate the time, man. Let's just start by getting your initial reaction to this AB presser. Yeah, he was pretty, you know, put together, no blonde mustache. Uh, <laughs> First thing I noticed, a Matt. A little bit. Well put. Yeah. Um, I, I think he, he presented himself well. I think uh, everyone expected that. I don't think we expected the erratic, you know, comments and behavior that he has exhibited in the past couple weeks. Um, I was impressed with kind of how he presented himself. He preached accountability, how he's going to hold everyone accountable. Uh, he talked about Derek Carr, you know, how they, they went and worked out a, at a local park yesterday, what, why he likes him, and, and really uh, just exuded uh, the professionalism that that most have no, I don't want to say most but that some have have questioned in, in the past couple of weeks maybe it's because he he was really trying to force his way out of Pittsburgh but uh, I was pretty impressed with the impression he he gave off today um, just overall just by watching this team last year Matt and, and knowing the personnel around Antonio Brown starting with Carr um, how do you think AB is going to transition in 2019. And do you think we'll see the same exact version of Antonio Brown that we saw with the Steelers the last nine years? 
Yeah, I mean, John Gruden was asked today, does he think he's going to have to change his offensive system to, to fit Brown? And Gruden bluntly said, you know, no, he will be a star in any system. And, and Brown kind of talked about, called Gruden an offensive guru, Gruden grinder, that whole sort of thing. Yeah. I think uh, you can expect similar numbers from Antonio Brown. And Gruden said today he wants to have the best wide receivers group in the NFL. And to do that, he has to get some of the best wide receivers. And he uh, said emphatically he thinks Antonio Brown is the best wide receiver in the NFL. You know, I asked, I asked Brown, you know, how many, how many years do you think you have left as a number one wide receiver in this league? He'll be 31 uh, by the time training camp starts. He says he wants to catch Jerry Rice. He wants to keep going for a while, and I think you're going to see uh, similar numbers put up as he has in Pittsburgh the last six seasons, you know, NFL record, six straight seasons with 100-plus catches, if the Raiders can, can add some guys behind him. You know, man, I think we've gotten a, a clear view of the quarterback situation, I think, over the last week. When a team has three first-round picks and a new coach, you're not 100% sure what's going to happen, especially when you see guys like Mack and, and Cooper leave his car next. But it looks like everybody's on board from Antonio Brown to John Gruden with Carr in 2019. Yeah, I really do think so. I mean, there was there are reports out there, even one as recent as today, that Gruden and Mayock will meet with Kyler Murray uh, again privately before the draft. I really think it's all a smokescreen. They are sold on Carr for 2019. I won't say beyond that because I think this is a, a big prove-it year for Derek Carr, but uh, I do think they are sold on Derek Carr as their quarterback for 2019. They've been big on emphasizing we need to surround him with more. You know, their offensive line was terrible last year. Jordy Nelson was their number one receiver for the latter half of the season after they traded Amari Cooper. Jordy Nelson isn't the number one wide receiver, and now they give him a number one wide receiver in Antonio Brown, uh, uh, number two in Tyrell Williams, who they haven't officially announced, but he – uh, that news came out today. And then they beef up the offensive line with the signing of Trent Brown, and, and they're putting the pieces around him. So I think that really goes to show that uh, they are sold on Derek Carr, and it really is just about surrounding him with the right pieces. Let's get to Tyrell Williams because it's a guy that we know very, very well here in Los Angeles, and I'm very happy for Tyrell. Um, I think he compliments A.B. very nicely, and I take it the Raiders do too. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a big, fast guy, and, and you, not often you get uh, that combination of big and fast. Uh, 6'4", you know, obviously, as you guys know, can run around a 4'4", four four, but uh, the Raiders don't really have that. They've had guys like Michael Crabtree, like Jordy Nelson. They drafted a guy last year in Marcel Aitman who are nice red zone targets, but they're not going to blow by anyone. And I think Tyrell Williams can do that. The Raiders know that all too well from seeing him. Uh, twice a year the past couple of years. But it, it, he is a guy who can really be a true number two. He might be getting paid uh, closer to a number one level uh, if the contract details that were reported are correct. But it, that's the kind of signing that really shows, you know, John Gruden really means it when he says he wants to have the best wide receiving core in in the NFL. And, you know, last year Tyrell Williams would have been a number one receiver on the Raiders. Now he's a number two. And I think I'm interested to see kind of how he fits in behind Brown, if he can take any of the attention off Brown, free him up a little bit. But I think that's another good signing for the Raiders. The skill position players on the Raiders starting to take shape. What about running back and tight end? Jared Cook was a lone pro bowler last year. He's still a free agent. And then Marshawn Lynch, it looks like maybe they could go to find another running back perhaps in the draft. 
Right. We, we don't know if Marshawn Lynch is going to return or retire yet. You know, it's been a while now since Gruden said it should be a couple weeks until we know. I think they're just waiting to see really where he is physically more than anything because he missed the last 10 games of last season with a groin injury, had surgery on that. Uh, they don't officially know if they're going to play in Oakland yet uh, this coming season, and I think that really matters to Lynch, an Oakland native who really only unretired to play for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Doug Martin's an unrestricted free agent. He, he kind of took over lead, lead back duties. Chris Warren, who led the league in rushing yards last preseason, missed all last season with an injury. So they've got some options. Uh, I don't want to say they missed out on Le'Veon Bell. They were making a push there, I'm told, but uh, didn't end up getting him. Uh, so I said I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted someone at running back, but uh, you know they've got some options in the building. And then Jared Cook, you know, Gruden has said all along, they're just waiting to see what the market is on him. Coming off a career year uh, in his 30s, I don't know if the Raiders can afford what he might be getting, uh, given what they've already spent. There's a couple Iowa tight ends they might be targeting in the draft. Uh, maybe a guy like Noah Fant later in the first round. But sure. uh, they've got some options. You know, could, could we see Jared Cook, Marshawn Lynch back again next year? Sure, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there are two rookies leading those positions. You spoke earlier about beefing up this offensive line. Trent Brown gets record-setting money for an offensive lineman. Is he going to play right tackle? Is that the the plan right now to keep Colton Miller at left tackle and Trent Brown at right? Yeah, we don't know exactly yet. Obviously, Trent Brown received left tackle money, but Gruden said at the Combine he thinks Colton Miller can be uh, an all-pro left tackle one day. So, we don't really know. Mike Mayock said today during Antonio Brown's presser that he's not going to address whether Trent Brown will play left tackle or right tackle. He'll be starting at one of them, and Colt Miller will be starting at the other. We just don't know which ones yet. I think if they they move Trent Brown to the left side, that's kind of just admitting uh, your 2018 first-round pick was was kind of a mistake. Not a mistake, but you drafted him to be your franchise left tackle, and a year into his career, you're making someone else the highest-paid offensive lineman in history. That, that yeah. Uh, would kind of signify a little bit of regret with that move, but we'll see. I mean, Trent Brown's a massive human being. He could play either side, has played right tackle. Colton Miller played some right tackle at UCLA, so uh, we'll see where they put those two guys. Yeah, especially in a division with pass rushers uh, up and down the division. Right. Uh, Semele gets traded to the Jets. This interior offensive line for the Raiders, Matt, what are we looking at here in 2019? I don't know exactly yet. You know, we always knew – uh, Osemley was a cut candidate, had no dead money against his deal, freed up about $10.2 million in cap space. And they were lucky to get something back for him, I, I think, a fifth-round pick from the Jets. I think now you're looking at, obviously, Rodney Hudson at center. He's one of the best at center in the league. But then Gabe Jackson is their right guard, but he's naturally a left guard. They could move him over to left guard. Uh, their backup left guard last year, John Feliciano, uh, is signing with the Bills. And then they have a guy named Denzel Good who filled in at right guard for Gabe Jackson when he was injured last year, who started a couple of games and, and was serviceable, uh, no glaring mistakes, and, and they signed him to a one-year extension. So uh, those couple guys are in the mix. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved Jackson back to the left side and went after a guy like Oklahoma's Cody Ford late in the first round with that number 24, number 27 pick. But I would definitely expect them to address uh, that interior offensive line with one of their four, first four picks in the first 35 that they have this year. A lot of big moves early for the Raiders. LaMarcus Joyner, another one, a four-year deal, and he has that positional 
versatility too, Matt. He can play safety. He can play nickel. Uh, where do you envision Joyner fitting into this Paul Gunther D? Uh, I think, you know, he could play a little bit of both. The, the Raiders' free safety spot really lacked last year, whether it was, you know, Reggie Nelson, who's 35, and I'd expect him to retire, though, though we don't know officially. Uh, Marcus Gilchrist, who's an unrestricted free agent. Carl Joseph, who was their 2016 first-round pick, uh, really came on late in the season after some early season playing time struggles and injury issues and kind of really showed that guy who they took in the first round back in 2016. So I think he's set at one starting position. Then Joyner could start at free safety. He could play in the slot. Last year in the slot, they had Leon Hall, who uh, is also an unrestricted free agent, well into his 30s. And Nick Nelson, who they drafted in the fourth round last year, he really struggled, uh, you know, because that slot guy these days has to defend tight ends. And Nelson is just so small and, and really struggled with that last year, especially with guys like uh, Antonio Gates and, and Hunter Henry will be back this year and Travis Kelsey in the division. So uh, I know Lamarcus Joyner uh, is only five foot eight, but he has proven he can. He can dutifully play that position, uh, either in the nickel or at free safety, and I think that's a, a welcome, welcome versatility the Raiders uh, will have this season. Yeah, and Joyner played all of these teams in the AFC West last year as a member of the Rams. Uh, final thing for you, Matt, you read the tea leaves, you have three first-round picks, the Raiders do. It's defensive line heavy, and they've made a lot of noise on the offensive side of the ball and free agency. It kind of leads you to believe that they're going to continue to build this defense through the draft. Right, and, and Mike Mayock said at the Combine, this is the best group of defensive linemen, at least at the top, he's seen in the past 10 years, and he's uh, neck deep in the draft every year. So I definitely think they, they use that number four pick on the defensive line, and, and they would love if Kyler Murray goes number one because then they get either both uh, Quinn and Williams or, or Josh Allen. And I think they would love to have one of those three guys. And then I would expect them to address the linebacker need or secondary uh, with one of those two later first round picks. And then again at number 35. So I think out of those four picks in the first 35, I'd expect three of them to be defense because as we've seen, their big spending has mostly been on the offensive side of the ball with Antonio Brown, Trent Brown, Tyrell Williams, here uh, in free agency, and I think Paul Gunther, their defensive coordinator, will will be smiling ear to ear come draft night when when some of those cards are put in with with defensive players on them. No doubt, Matt. Actually, one more for you. How do you think these moves put the Raiders in the AFC West? When you talk about teams like the the Chiefs and the Chargers, who both went twelve and four this year, and, and the Broncos, who are trying to build something uh, with, with Joe Flacco under center now. Yeah, I still think they're well behind the Chiefs and the Chargers in that order. Um, you know, they've got a long way to go to be considered a playoff contender. They still need almost everything on defense. You know, you can't beat Phillip Rivers and Patrick Mahomes if you get no pressure on the quarterback, which the Raiders still don't have. Um, and especially you saw that last year with the four games they played against those two teams. The offense is getting there, you know, still obviously not up to up to the level of the Chiefs and the Chargers, but, you know, the Raiders are inching closer to a 500 team. I don't think they're there yet. Some people might want to jump to conclusions because of these, these splash signings they've made, but I'd say they're, they're third in the AFC. I, I just don't know why the Broncos would, would trade for Joe Flacco. I don't think he'll get them anywhere, but I, 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 I see the Raiders as the third best team in the AFC West, still well behind the Chiefs and Chargers. 
Matt Schneidman, Bay Area News Group. Matt, great information, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on, and we'll have to have you on later on this offseason. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me. And that's going to do it. My thanks to Matt Schneidman, Nikki Jabala, Rook Pryor, and Sean Merriman for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Don't forget, if you like what you hear this offseason, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please help spread the word. We'll be back next week with more free agency reaction. Have a great weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.